0: Watch the background noise, guys. Those squeaky chairs. I have the squeaky chair too. Yeah. I'll, I'll try not to move too much. <clears throat> <clears throat> <laughs> no, it's all good. This is the most <laughs> casual podcast you'll ever uh, listen to in your life. Yeah, it, it is. Which is good. I and, like that about getting, it. getting more casual.
1: Hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: I don't know if we could fit more guys in this room, Phil, mm. but we could try it. Tim, take your hand off my knee, please. <laughs> Well, welcome back to our fourth week of the Deeper Cut. We're here with Pastor Phil in his study. We actually have a few guests today. We we didn't twist arms too hard, I don't think,
2: Phil, but not, not too hard. But uh, Joe answered the call. We 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 shouted shouted out to Joe, and here he is. <laughs> so.
0: Welcome, Joe. We also have Aaron in the room with us today. We uh, we decided that we'd pull him in, having some free time on his hands, that this was maybe a good use of of his time. Well, maybe not a good use of his time, but... No, it's not a good use of his time.
2: <laughs> Think of all the other things you could be doing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but we appreciate you spending it with us instead. Yes. So we're going to be discussing the sermon that Phil preached yesterday on uh, November 13th, which was Psalm 34. Is the I think ninth or tenth in the series? Ninth or tenth um, in the Psalms for the fall, and so uh, we'll endeavor to to spend the next half an hour or so discussing some of the uh, observations or further applications or thoughts um, that we've had in reflection on the on the sermon, and also um, hopefully get some of your insight, Phil, as you. Spent the week prepping the sermon and, um, you know, got to to pray about it and think about it and deliver us God's word yesterday. It's a great opportunity for us to learn more about um, what God is trying to teach us through His word and particularly through your preaching. So uh, I wanted to start off by doing something that we hadn't done in, in previous weeks, which is just take a few moments to talk about the actual sermon prep or the act of preaching, um, you have selected these psalms, Phil, um, and you were just commenting off air uh, a few moments ago that it seems as though a lot of these have a a common thread, if you will, or at least the past few, um, where they're they're not psalms of lament or even psalms of praise per se, but they're more psalms of teaching. And of wisdom sharing. Last week we looked at Psalm 32, which is actually a masculine, or at least the, the superscript denotes that it's a masculine. We talked about that in last week's episode. Go check it out. But uh, this one is not identified that way, but uh, it seems as though it's a, along a similar line. So, it is. was that intentional, not intentional? Um, thoughts around maybe what God has been teaching you as you've been prepping?
2: Well, <clears throat> the the selection of the psalms has been, I mean, I guess the decision to preach on the psalms was to choose to handpick, you know, a few psalms, not to preach every single one in, in a row. And the idea of the Psalms of my life was, uh, I guess, a little bit selfish in that I wanted to preach the Psalms that I like or that God has used to minister to me or that have helped me in different stages of my life. Or if I, if I felt the need to reconnect to a Psalm, um, the best sermons to me are sermons that the preacher heard first. And helped him and I've also said in terms of like homiletical theory pre- preaching theory homiletics is the theory of preaching um, if I need to hear it or if it's challenging me in an area of my life it's pretty reliable conclusion that others need to hear it too um, a because I'm a sinner like everyone else if, if not a bigger sinner than everyone else but B given how much I've studied and know things, if it's pushing me in a place where I'm uncomfortable, then sort of, you know, if the scholar needs it, then everybody needs it. Uh, it, it can work the other way, too, because sometimes the man on the street doesn't struggle with sort of the high-minded questions that someone who can uh, read or at least translate Hebrew struggles with. But. Um, so Psalm 34 is one of those psalms, and I actually alluded to this in the message itself, that I had never really studied in depth, although I had cherry-picked some, some beautiful verses out of it. For instance, God is near to the brokenhearted. Uh, that's a precious promise. Um, taste and see that the Lord is good is, is, a, is a beautiful. And that wound up getting some attention in the message. What I had never looked at, though, is the con- specific connection between the superscription and the psalm and always struck me as odd. I don't know my Bible so well as to know exactly what was going on when David went to Abimelech. I actually had to read it. I, I literally opened my Bible at 1 Samuel 15 and read all the way through 1 Samuel 22 or so just to refresh Okay, what was going on in David's life at this point in his life. And that's how I started the sermon. And... um Since that's where David was, he was, as I said, in the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, And the first thing he says is, I will, you know, I will magnify the Lord. I will praise the Lord. Um, I, I take that to mean that the praise is in response to what God did in David's life when he made that boneheaded decision. So the first part of the psalm, basically 1 through 10 or so, is more or less an individual expression of praise with a summons to the church to join him in this. So in terms of your question about, uh, you know, the wisdom, I do see sort of a theme from Psalm 19 to Psalm, um, I guess we did Psalm 18, Psalm 19, Psalm 25, Psalm 32, Psalm 34, There does seem to be a wisdom theme or thread running through that. Um, God wants us to learn from our mistakes and he wants us to learn from others' mistakes. And uh, it's the mark of wisdom to pay attention when others make mistakes so that we don't have to make the same ones. I tend not to do that very well. I mean, like how many times did my dad tell me, listen, you're gonna need this information at some point in your life. I'm like, yeah, whatever and then when it happened to me i'm like he told me i wish i would have listened mm. so that that shows that i'm not i haven't arrived at wisdom yet tim i know that's shocking but mm. although you, you seem to be doing pretty well spoiler in alert yeah how are you doing in the wisdom category
0: <laughs> Not so great <laughs> <laughs>
2: so, that's you, okay. so you needed it too yes desperately but well, um This is a masculine form, not a masculine in name, because I think it's verse 11, come, O sons, children. It's the classic way that a a Hebrew teacher addresses his pupils, is by calling them children or sons. The teacher-student relationship is a little bit like a parent-child relationship. He says, come, O children, listen to me, and I will teach you what the good life is all about. Um, Do we have trouble Learning from hypocrites. I guess that was an implied question that I didn't answer in my sermon. But what do you think, Tim? Hmm. I mean, if these are if these are resolutions of a redeemed hypocrite, did you have any trouble learning from David here, or did you kind of like, you know, did your parents ever say, uh, "Do as I say, not as I do"? <laughs> Basically, is David just saying, "Do as I say, not as I do" here? Yeah. I mean, but. I would certainly say so
0: with the difference being that it's David yeah and that it's in the Bible yeah so there's some there's some difference uh, for sure I think you know if you were to ask the question generally do we have a problem learning from hypocrites well I think anything that you learn is coming from hypocrite because <laughs> we're all hypocrites so you can't really have a problem with it because then you would never be willing to learn anything right um, but Specifically, yeah, I think a lot of times we have. I have problems learning from, from people, especially, um, I think it's more of... Maybe it's a it's, proud hypocrite. It's, that, it's that, me that's the problem, not the other person. Yeah. It's, it's my hypocrisy that prevents me from learning from a hypocrite. Right. Because I go, why should I listen to you? I know
2: just as much, if not more. And if the hypocrite's manner is arrogant... Mm. Whereas David's manner here is, he says, this poor man cried. You know, the humble hear and are encouraged. So, um, David's humble manner makes it easier to have him as our tutor in his folly.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
2: David, David, for being a king, is pretty vulnerable. Yeah. I like this quote. From Calvin, even David, whose behavior, uh, uh, who even David, who is known to have surpassed others in heroism and bravery, had no such heart of iron as to repel all fears and alarms, but was sometimes overwhelmed with anxiety. Hmm. Even David. So um, we had talked a little bit about that Aaron in, in the in the conversation before the show started as you were talking with your wife about how David is known as this great man of God uh, and my, my daughter commented as well, it's nice to, to be reminded David didn't just sin once or twice he, he actually sinned throughout his, his life as king hence um, resolutions from a redeemed hypocrite Seemed like an appropriate title. So, how would you um,
0: piggyback off that? So, in, in verse 15 and onward, David speaks of the righteous, I don't know, at least four times that account. So how would you, like, how would he define that, like the righteous? Because that would be something that I would, you know, you look at it very quickly and you go, well, that seems pretty hypocritical, David, you are know, talking about how God's going to save the righteous, and presumably you're lumping yourself in with, the, with those folks in the context of
2: yeah. <laughs> your, your sin here. Yeah. Yeah, so um, it's actually three times the word "righteous" is used. Verse fifteen: "The eyes of Jehovah are on the righteous." Verse nineteen: "Many evils befall the righteous," and verse twenty-one: "Those who hate the righteous will be condemned." Easby has it in seventeen too. When the righteous cry for help, i don't know <coughs> at the Hebrew word. Let me, see. Let me check here. Um, that's supplied. It's, it's, it's a third person plural they, when they cry for help mm. but you're right, it shows up in 17 yeah, yeah when the righteous cry which is to say the people of verse 15 the eyes of Yahweh are on the righteous and his ears are um, essentially open to their cries for help the face of Yahweh is against the ones who do evil he cuts off their memory from the earth and it says they cry out And Jehovah hears. So who are are they? Well, it's the ones that he just mentioned, so. Yeah. So uh, in that sense, it is four times that it appears. It's a strong, righteous, the wicked and the righteous are a strong theme in the psalm. And it's, I guess, I'm drawn to, I guess I'm a little, I feel a little um, uncomfortable identifying myself with the good guys. Mm. I don't know if you guys can relate to that, but um, I, I can relate to you know the righteous cry and Yahweh hears because I do feel when God when I cry to God, God hears me, and so I infer from that. Well, maybe He sees me as righteous. Well, well, how is that possible? Well, only by His covenantal grace, because this is a resolution of a redeemed hypocrite. David is showing me that God hears the cries of a sinner, of poor men, of humble, of the humble. So I I guess I kind of backed my way into the category. Hmm. So then,
0: so I guess what you're saying is, so 17, when the righteous cry for help, would be the the teaching point from David from what he said in verse 6 about himself. This poor man cried, and the
2: Lord heard him. So, the first half of the psalm is a, is a story, a, more or less a story of David's own experience of grace, and then the second half of the psalm is, okay, here's what you need to learn about God and God's grace, and you can, you could act, if you were to draw lines, you could actually connect some of the lessons in the second half to some of his experiences in the first half. That would be a good exercise, you know, if you had a whiteboard or, you know, if you had a piece of paper you were to draw in your Bible just to say, okay, here's what God did for David. Here's what David is telling me that God will do for me and others like me in general. So, for instance, I sought Jehovah and he delivered me, and then that's verse 4. And, and then in verse 17, Jehovah hears and delivers, right? Um, likewise with hear, with hearing, uh, verse 6, Jehovah heard and saved. And then um, verse 17, the righteous cry out and Jehovah hears. About angels in the sermon, but do you guys believe in angels? Like, you actually believe in angels? Not just like the things that you hang on your Christmas tree, but <laughs> yeah, sure. like, yeah. you think they really exist? <coughs> Is anybody yeah. have you ever seen an angel? Is that not that I know? Of no, <laughs> I'm not sure I want to see an angel yeah. because whenever someone sees an angel in the Bible, it's not like they want to give them a hug, it's more like. Holy crap! and they're about to die, um, and typically when people see angels in the Bible, they mistake the angel for God, and they're shaking in their boots and they fall on their faces. And you know, the angel says, "Don't worry, I'm not God." Which makes me wonder, you know, what would it be like to actually be in the presence of God? You know, if, if that if that dynamic is real. Well, do you see where angels show up in the Psalm? Read, uh, uh, Aaron, why don't you read verse 7?
1: The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them.
2: So, um, do angels help us? To me, this says yes. Uh, Now, the word encamp sounds like, uh, like a barracks, like, uh, uh, what's it called, you know, like like an army. So maybe David in particular, his situation was in a military circumstance where he's imagining this or, or explaining this. Um, <clears throat> do you know the story of Elisha and his servant? Have you heard this before? So Elisha is the prophet that succeeds Elijah in Second Kings. Elisha asks, this is a famous statement, for a double portion of his spirit. So Elijah's the great prophet in the Old Testament. Like it's essentially Moses, Job, and Elijah. Like there's, maybe Abraham makes the top five, but Elijah's definitely on the Mount Rushmore of the Old Testament. We got like Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, and Elijah. And that's basically it. I mean, David's a runner up. So Elijah's successor is Elisha and there's a battle against a pagan king and uh, the servant wakes up and he sees all of the armies around uh, surrounding Elisha and, I, I don't know, God's people or the, the armies. I'm, I'm summarizing the story. And the servant of Elisha goes and wakes up his master and he says, Elisha, we're doomed. <laughs> right? And Elisha's like, Ah, laddie, let me show you something. Can he prays to God, and the veil of the servant's eyes is removed. And all of a sudden, all the armies, the, the few aren't, a lot of them, but the few armies arrayed around the camp on earth. He, he looks into heaven, it's like ten, a hundred times that amount of the chariots, chariots of fire, and the armies of the Lord of hosts kind of flaming in, in heaven sort of dwarfing these pagan armies. And the servant's like, oh, we should have no problem winning this bat, because now he sees that the numbers are actually quite at a disadvantage to the enemy. So um, angels are real, we just can't see them, I guess is, is the point. Um, Calvin says, quoting Matthew 18, that uh, and children, the children don't have one but two angels per child, because they're, they're angels, Plural Jesus has always beheld the face of the Father who is in heaven. So, is it a guardian angel? Um, I'm not sure we can go down that path. But are there angels that are looking out for us on a daily basis? My angel tends to work overtime. <laughs> it's like, all right, mate. It's like yeah. the, the the it's a wonderful life. You know that that angel like that's my angel. <coughs> like, I get the reject angel. He's like, you can fix this guy. I'm going to give you a promotion up up and down. Um, Any thoughts on angels from from anybody or questions? I'm thinking about the writer
1: of Hebrews who says that uh, after he compares Christ and the angels, showing that Christ is greater than the
2: angels. Yeah, in Hebrews 1.
1: He goes on to say that that the angels are ministering spirits for the elect. So in some way, they uh, are used by God to... For the sake of the elect in their salvation and their protection and sanctification. Right. And even the angels, he says that the angels uh, were the
2: mediators of
1: the covenant in, in
2: Sinai. Right. So, so they were, uh, by mediating the covenant, God employed them, not because God needed help. Yeah. But it, I think it's a little bit of the incarnational principle. I mean, it's nice to know that our Savior is a man, like with flesh and blood. Bones, um, with passions and weaknesses, like a human being. And I think angelology, the study of angels, is to. You can go overboard with this and get into speculation, but to to a point, it's helpful because it reminds us that we don't just deal with with an Almighty God. He's created these beings called angels to help us. And I don't know quite how it works, but the powers, principalities, and the rulers of the air, those are the enemy angels, the fallen angels. And then the two-thirds that didn't fall are God's servants. And is there is some sort of a spiritual warfare. I wonder if angels are, in fact, I'm sure it's a faith statement that angels are hovering over this podcast. It's like, don't let them say that, Lord. That's (laughs) <laughs> you know, wipe that out of thought out of his mind but to Abimelech Akish the king of Gath did an angel sort of put mm-hmm. put a hand over Akish's eyes or plug his ears or somehow you know stick a thought into his brain so that when he looked at David this guy basically drooling all over his beard and he's like get this man out of my presence and and is it through the mediation of angels that David was able to escape? I I don't know. It's just maybe a sanctified speculation, but um, easy to miss in in the psalm. I mean, I didn't even mention it in the message because I didn't have time, but uh, it is a kindness of God to utilize or employ angels to our benefit or to our blessing. Particularly when we get ourselves in these scrapes like David did.
0: think I <clears throat> think we might be prone even reading this psalm and reading verse 7 to not stop and consider we can <coughs> swipe over it excuse me you know we see angel of the lord and we, and we just because we can't understand and so we go oh, you know, probably is not, not worth thinking about too much mm-hmm. and we move right, move right along you know um, to our detriment. So, yeah, yeah. Thankful that we have uh, this kind of opportunity to talk about those things, because yeah. you don't, unfortunately, the session doesn't give you two hours to preach every Sunday.
2: It's probably good for everybody. Though. <laughs> <laughs> you, see, you don't have to sit and listen to this podcast with two screaming children on either hip. Or at least one on each hip. Why do you think it took David's, maybe from your experience, um, why did it take David making such a colossal, you know, exercising judgment in such a colossally stupid way? He's the anointed of the Lord. You know, to me, this is a very gripping part of the story behind Psalm 34, and really what inspired me to, you know, the, the direction I took the whole the whole sermon kind of hung on this. Why does it take us making decisions such bad decisions to to evoke this sort of praise? Hmm. Um, why can't we praise God kind of on the mountain? Why is it always coming out of the valley and, you know, uh, figuratively speaking, out of the seedy bar, that part of town we shouldn't be in, that fight with your spouse, um, you know, another poor decision at work, getting fired, whatever the case may be. Why does it take those sorts of moments of awareness where you just see how utterly foolish I am for me to praise God why is it why is that the way it works (laughs) it's a great question (laughs) our lives would be a whole lot
1: easier if we learned the lessons the easy way
2: I know and last week I mentioned (laughs) the easy way and the hard way And as I was preparing the sermon it's like well David definitely took the hard way this week Mm. he definitely took the hard way I mean to, to think it would be like like, um, I, don't, I, don't know. I, I don't know what the equivalent is of, of David in the United States, but um, the guy who took out Osama bin Laden, you know, if, if that man's name were known, it probably is, I don't know his name off the top of my head, or even the president of the United States showing up at Putin's doorstep, you know, or um, maybe the president of Ukraine, showing up in Putin's living room. He's not walking out of that place, yeah. right? Um, and this is not me weighing in on the politics of, you know, the Ukrainian invasion and, and all that. But, um, um, how, how did he end up there in, in, in this spectacular display of God's mercy? There's no reason David should have walked out of that situation alive. Having killed 10,000 of this king's countrymen. Yeah. Like, what was he thinking? And yet, he, you know, in First Samuel 21, it says, and he walked away. And, and David, it just, it's this really understated sort of, and, and David left.
1: Hmm. Going back to just the idea of God working in, in ways that we can't see through angels and um, these different means like it this story does remind us that God is at work in the world and even though we don't see it and we tend to forget that because you know we know how things work and we see the events of our lives but even behind all of those things God works through everything that happens in our life even the, the mistakes and the sins that we make. Or do he, he uses them to sanctify us and to draw us to a greater understanding of who He is and His grace in our life. And I think that's why in situations, at least in my life, um, I'm drawn to God even more because I see my absolute desperation that apart from God's grace, I wouldn't make it out of this situation alive or I wouldn't make it out of this situation intact spiritually. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's also true in the good moments but i tend to think that it's not true then because everything's going well and i feel like i don't need god's grace so i'm reminded in the moments where uh my sin seems to be great before me or i'm in a moment of desperation even more so to Mm -hmm. remember the lord and to turn to Mm -hmm. him I think it's easier <clears throat> excuse me i think it's easier like you said at the top of the hill to kind of forget to give thanks to the reason that mm-hmm. you know you arrived there but and it's just easier when the stress is there to remember to mm-hmm. i need that and then when everything's going good <clears throat> which is something that myself and probably all of us should work on but when everything is great it's to say thank you and remember that reason why you are
2: Mm where at the top of the hill not just in the valleys but
1: I couldn't yeah I can't I don't know how why but I feel like it's just always easier
2: um my last point Joe piggybacking on what you're saying was that we need to anchor our experiences in Christ and in eternity. And I was kind of running out of time at that point in the message, but my heart there is that verses 15 to 22, if you if you read these verses, have this interesting way of explaining the righteous. Um, for for instance. Um, the eyes of Jehovah are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cries for help that's verse 15 the face of Jehovah is against those who do evil he cuts their memory of them off from the earth Um, the righteous of verse 15 cry out to Jehovah and he hears and he delivers them from all their troubles but he allowed them to get into trouble too Um, which reminds me, what is it? Is it verse 6? This poor man cried. I love that verse. Mm -hmm. Um, So a couple thoughts here. Um, The poor man of verse 6 is also the righteous man of verse 17. So how is it that we can be humble, poor, sinners, and righteous at the same time? Well, the psalm drives us to anchor our identities in Christ because he is the poor man who God hears and by identifying ourselves with Christ we become righteous in him but I keep waiting for that moment in my life where I finally put all those troubles behind me and it's smooth sailing cruise control windows down elbow out the window crank up the tunes we're good uh, tasty tunes right got some tasty tunes on the radio taste and see that the Lord is good but that, the minute I get there, not, not to be kind of superstitious, but it's almost a knock-on-wood moment where it's like, God wants me to be continually dependent upon him, and for some reason, it's usually through the testings. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Which verse is that? Is that 18? 19. Uh, yeah, 19. Many evils befall the righteous but Jehovah delivers them from them all. And he's not near to the proud in verse 18. He's near to the brokenhearted. So.
0: There's a, a hymn that I really love, um, Come Ye Sinners. We sing it from time to time at Mercy Hill. I find myself kind of quoting in my mind a couple of the verses quite frequently um verse three is let not conscience make you linger nor fitness fondly dream all the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him so going back to you know looking forward to when you've arrived and smooth sailing right let nor fitness finally dream yeah you know Um, come ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. So we have to remember that even at the top of the mountain, it's really not the top of the mountain. It's not really the top of the mountain Mm -hmm. at this point, you know, and, um, the goal isn't even to get to the top of the mountain, really. It's uh, yeah. to feel your need of Him, you know?
2: Yeah, it's, it's, it's the realignment of, I guess what I, what I said, is how we measure the good life and then how we actually live the good life. Um, you know, what is, speaking of tasty tunes, you know, what is tasty? What is satisfying? What is good? You know, what, what brings fullness or fulfillment? That was my effort to try to help against always speaking to myself first um, I'm ashamed of the things that I find tasty. You know if 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 my this uh, does, does Spotify give you like the most frequently played songs, like you can mm-hmm. you can hit go and it'll mm-hmm. like it'll even like your most frequently enjoyed songs of twenty twenty one It's like, wow, I, I actually liked that song back then, you know?, and it, it's weird how it sort of transports you back to that time where you were humming that tune well if you look at what's satisfying you spiritually and you like we were each to say like our top five menu selections from the spiritual restaurant of the world and it's like you know um, worms <laughs> number one that's on my list too I'm not going to mention the others because it's going to involve using bad words. But, you know, it's like <laughs> gross stuff. And But when I get to church, it's like, oh yeah, I love me some Bible. You know, I I love fasting and prayer and, yeah. and being a pastor and all of these things. That's what should satisfy me or, or sh- maybe should satisfy me at some level. Fellowship with the brothers, but... Boy, when, when the pressure's on and I'm in the olive press of life, um, what comes out is, is I'm satisfying myself with, with other things. I think Calvin's point was, this psalm shows us how easily we are taken away from being d- delighting in God alone to going after worldly pleasures. I, I think that's... that's uh, David is resolving not to do that, and, and, and I thank God he did because it's helping me Hopefully it's helping us as a church to to be more gracious towards one another. As God has been gracious towards us. That was a theme from last week, wasn't it, with the forgiveness? Yeah. Um, But then also to to resolve to to live more holily, in a more holy manner.
0: Yeah, you're... Kind of your intro this week was, you know, he mm-hmm. was in the wrong place at the wrong time, and really, he put himself in the wrong place he at did. the wrong time. He did. And so I've been thinking about, okay, I can agree. I put myself in the wrong place at the wrong yeah. time often. I thought about how do the way. I?
2: Yeah, I thought of that on the way to church. By the way, that's that's pretty good. Cool. <laughs> Maybe that was a angelic. Uh, it was. I think the angel got kind of there in my earlobe with the little
0: eardropper. But not not that we. Um, not that we're ever going to make perfect decisions, um, or always put ourselves in the right place at the, at the right time, but how do we, um, even do small things to, to help put ourselves in a better position, you know, to, to have a, a better, uh, perspective on what is tasty. You know, mm-hmm. what is the good life? You know, we've talked about this in previous episodes of, you know, blessed is the man or
2: blessed is the... Yeah. Um, so they're the asherism in this psalm, do you remember what verse it was? That was in, the, in 8, right? Yeah. So it's the, the, the other half see. of the taste and see. So yeah. the invitation, taste and see that the Lord is good. Um Polly loved that part of the sermon, by the way. She loves food. You know, we're a food household here. I think one of our kids said that her greatest joy is to be involved in making good food mm. for, for people. And uh, if any of you have sat at our table, it's like the food channel. It's like, man, I don't really like the way these green beans turn out. Little, little, not quite al dente or whatever. You know, it's like, oh my goodness. But uh, the picture of the banquet. By the way, the image in my mind was the image of that banquet table in, in that uh, one of Lewis's Narnia books. Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Was it Voyage of the Dawn Treader? Yeah, I was thinking about that this really? morning.
0: Yeah, yeah. it's the, the banquet that gets replenished every night. Exactly. Those creatures come in.
2: Have you read this, Joe? This, yeah. These books, these are, these are, if you like, uh, we read them to our kids, so I'd recommend getting a set of the Narnia 7 books. And even if they're not old enough to understand, you can give your daughters maybe old enough to color in a coloring book while you read to her a couple pages out of Narnia. and She'll become a fan for life.
0: So. Yeah, I thought I thought of the same thing. I was looking it up on my drive over here wow. today because okay. I couldn't remember what Which, chapter it was in. Okay, it's my favorite of the Narnia books.
2: Is it because of uh, the feast scene?
0: I like everything in that in that yeah. one, but I do particularly like. That, that aspect is towards the end of the story. I won't give away. Okay. Know, go, go read it for yourself. Uh, you'll enjoy it. But there is the banquet feast at this yes. huge table. Yes. And um, that, they yeah. find themselves at this table.
2: Huh.
0: And there are a couple of guys there that are asleep indefinitely. Again, I won't give any spoilers oh, away. That's but true. But they're, they're trying to determine how did this food get here? And why is it like it's like the best food that they've ever seen in their? Yeah, and this is Narnia, so it's like there's great stuff everywhere, right? And they find out that it's Aslan's table,
2: Um,
0: right? And Aslan has prepared the table and he replenishes the table um, every night.
2: See, this is why we need the podcast because there's no way I would have been smart (laughs) enough to think of that story (laughs) or tell it half as good as you told it. (laughs) I was thinking to myself. Man, how
0: could that have been turned into a sermon illustration uh, for the next time Psalm 34 comes
2: rolling around? Yeah, the next time. So, but the second half of verse 8 is the Asherism. Mm -hmm. Asherah means happy. Asher is one of the names of the 12 sons of Jacob. Uh, It's also the name of your dog. (laughs) So, is he a happy dog? Uh, He tends to be. Okay, okay. Um, a friend of our church has a son named Asher and and I'm really proud of him for choosing that name. Um, And jealous of people who have an Asher personality, I tend to be a little more reflective. I mean, I I can be happy. A couple times a year at least, I'm happy. (laughs) Um, But, um, so the Asherism is the way to be happy in the world as it is, not just as we wish it were, although there's an interesting overlay as we've Mm -hmm. talked about this, but an asherism or a Macarism, the New Testament version of it, is an invitation for the best way of living in a simple broken world. That's my definition. So, the asherism here, the invitation is, blessed is the man who takes refuge in the Lord. The best way to live in the fallen world is not on, Joe, to your point earlier, not on our own running on our own self-sufficiency, you know, fueling our own tank and patting ourselves on the back and climbing our way up the, the corporate ladder or the entrepreneurial ladder or any other ladder that's out there. But taking refuge in God and not being ashamed that we're not strong. You know, this poor man cried is verse six. So freely identifying with the humble of verse two you know let the humble hear and be glad that's the best way to live that's not the way my friends live my neighbors not all of them live that way some of them do um i think i get into a a habit of competency even as maybe particularly as a preacher this sunday was an exercise in kind of making fun of my competency because i had no manuscript and i was short on time so I'm preaching literally as you're looking at the notes here from this, from the scratched-out outline of my, of my notebook, with some, red, red extra notes that I wrote, you know, right before church. And I, I already told you I thought of the opening illustration on my way <laughs> church. I was like, <laughs> God, um, I you know I may be on the mound, but you're gonna have to pitch this one. Cause mm. I don't have much, mm. so I you know I. Tried to take refuge in God on this, even with the title. You know, the title was me trying to invite the whole church into an experience of shared admission of our need for God's grace, given the fact that we're just a bunch of hypocrites, redeemed hypocrites. Yeah.
0: And in case you think or attempted to think that this is just something that David came up with or... Doesn't apply to us anymore. Go read the Beatitudes.
2: Exactly. Maybe you need to have a chapter in your book. Yeah. The Psalms and the I, I think so The Beatitudes. Yeah. yeah. The the book I collect books with the good life either in the title or in the subtitle. I've got about ten of them working right now, so I do want to write that book. And it's all over the place. And what's what's frustrating is that it's neither the life that we can create ourselves, that's kind of the Stoics version of the good life. Just work it out and you'll get there. But neither is it, it kind of the dour, kind of, I said reflective, introspective, sort of depressed, you know, it, it's it's a good life. Like it's a, it's a happy, uh, those who look to him, their faces are, are radiant, it's that verse, 9 verse 5 verse 5 interesting note on that verse Aaron could you read that verse Sure. those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed so there's there's a a debate in this verse about the the, uh, personal pronoun third person singular pronoun those who look to him so who's the him? I've always assumed it's the Lord. But if you look at verse 5, it's the nearest reference is the poor man. This poor man cried, and and what? The Lord heard him. And the Lord heard him. So those who look to him, is it those who look to the poor man or those who look to the Lord? I think it's the Lord, but... Um, it's encouraging to look to David, too. So I take it as kind of a secondary implication of verse, of verse 6 or verse 5. But those, um, when I see David, particularly David's greater son, Jesus Christ, being, crying to the Lord and being heard by God, it reminds me a little bit of the humble hear it and rejoice in verse 2. So kind of reminds
1: me of Moses as well, who when he met with God his face yeah. was and then Christ in the transfiguration. Yes. Uh, who also when he met with Moses and Elijah, just he shone like the sun. Right. And the writer of Hebrews even says he's the radiance
2: of the glory of God. Right. That's right. Um the, the, that word radiance of the glory of God is um, in Latin is related to the word effulgence and one of my favorite characters in church history, this is sort of footnote in the footnote here Tim, is Refulgentia of Aspersia, who was a student of St. Augustine and continued Augustine's teaching on predestination after Augustine died, but Refulgentia is the reflected radiance imagine naming you need to name your next dog dog Red <laughs> it doesn't really roll off the tongue no no it doesn't but it shines
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh man you know that our time is about up when we start I was going to say, say
2: it's th- that's either um, yeah we're either going to put it in another quarter or we may need to tie it off right there
0: this is the podcast I listen to, and every now and then they'll they'll get down on one of these tangents, and they go, "Cut that! Cut that! Cut that! Cut that!" Oh. So we we need a, a, a slogan of some okay. type. Okay. This is when we we stop it. But no, it's it's good. What about if you need some guidance? Like, what would you recommend to
1: if you wanted to seek what um what should be tasty? Like something mm. we can like read on our own uh, or something. To kind of guide us in the tasty
2: ways. Yeah. What some be tasty. tasty tunes? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> well. And end on like a. Yeah. End on a, maybe a practical note. Um, um, I have a. I actually have a book here by uh, Piper. You know, he's made his 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 ministry around this idea of desiring God. John Piper is a. Baptist preacher I see Aaron smiling so um, you're, you're familiar with Piper's writing have you benefited from his stuff over the years um, so one of Piper's sayings Joe is God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him and he is this I, I think it's uh, over it a little bit too much when he talks about hedonistic Christianity or Christian hedonism which is to say pursuing the pleasures of God um, literally pursue, pursuing the kind of life where I'm learning to enjoy God in the things that I enjoy whether it's coffee or you know my work or my hobbies uh, my wife, my kids um, trying to bring the good gifts in my life kind of almost like opposite poles of a magnet sometimes it feels like bring them into congruent alignment with my walk with the Lord, um, which is the work of a lifetime, I've found um, it's also extremely humbling, because the only way that I can really enjoy life as as I'm living it is as a poor, humble sinner redeemed by grace. So, reading a book like this, and the book is when I don't desire God, how to fight for joy. To me, that's that's a good resource. A lot of Piper's materials, but I like this because of the negative aspect of it. So that's one good resource. What do you think, Tim, would be a, a practical resource that people could... They wanted to dig deeper on how to... You mentioned a
0: book in people. the sermon um, yesterday from Ed Welch, When People Are Big and God yes. is Small. That's that's a yeah. good book. I've read that a couple of times. Yeah. Um, I'd recommend that one.
2: It's a little... Not exactly, what, you know. It's it's on a self help side, and it's very practical, um, and it gets at this indirectly because by getting out of people pleasing, you get sort of you can hit the reset button on enjoying God the way He wants us to enjoy Him. So that's another good recommendation. Thanks for well, you made the recommendation. I yeah, you reminded. Remind, remembered. What What do you think, Aaron? What's helped you as your particular book or study that's helped you learn to enjoy God or to refine your taste buds
1: I think even just one of the things you talked about yesterday in the sermon uh, where David says magnify the Lord with me it's not that God God's infinite he doesn't need to be made greater he doesn't need us to add anything to him but we need God to become bigger in, in our mm-hmm. eyes our spiritual eyes mm-hmm. every day um I think one of the ways we do that is by hearing the the word preached by reading the word by praying by having fellowship God's made bigger to us because sometimes you know the sins in our lives or the things that don't matter are the things that are ultimate in our eyes and we we do need to magnify the Lord because he is he's greater than anything we could ever imagine but sometimes to us he's small Not that he's small, but we view him as that. Mm. So I don't know necessarily a particular book, but just the constant practice of putting Christ before our eyes Mm. and beholding his glory uh, daily and even moment by moment and being reminded of the fact that he is uh, our Savior, he loves us, he cares for us, and that when we taste and see that he is good, we're never disappointed.
2: Mm. Mm.
0: Thanks for showing us up, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> well, well it was uh, well put. Again,
2: can't say anything else. No, after it that. was well put. Yeah, very, very timely if, and uh, well put, and uh, with a, with the, with a sweet spirit too. Absolutely.
0: If you're hearing this and you don't have a church to go to, or you're interested in knowing more about what Aaron's talking about, um, you know, we would invite you to come visit with us at Mercy Hill. I don't know how widely this will get listened to outside of our, our congregation, but once it's on the interwebs, you know, who knows? So, um, you know, again, our, our, our uh, desire here, I think, Phil, is, is just to learn more to do exactly what we're talking about, to, to identify well, what are the things that we should be doing, um, how do we live the good life, even these conversations, I think, um, help in that, right? To, to your point, Aaron, you know, we're sitting here, we're talking about the Lord and looking at His Word more deeply and considering it. And So if you'd like to join us, even for this, we have another squeaky seat available. You do. And I'm more than happy to you know, sit even closer to you, Phil, if I have to, to make space. Well, you've, so. you've been massaging my knee the whole time. <laughs> it's been really sweet. Too. Yeah, yeah well, I just want you to know how much you're loved, Phil. So, Thank you. Um, but I appreciate Joe and Aaron you guys joining us today. Yeah, you right. are open invitation to come back whenever whenever you'd like. And I would be more than happy to, uh, to exit for, for the sake of one of you guys. <laughs> to make space so but thanks again for being here thanks phil for your faithful preaching of god's word to us on sundays and and even for taking this time on a monday and your day off Mm. as a pastor to to um to talk with us and to talk with the church virtually and uh, i'm hoping that this is the week that we get this out on an official podcast um space but we'll share this the way we have the past couple weeks as well so
2: excellent thank you for taking taking your time out too i know all of you are busy i mean not you aaron but you know what can I he's say? got a
0: new house and a little kid he's he's plenty he's busy plenty busy <laughs> yeah, i
2: was i was totally being sarcastic <laughs> yeah thanks everybody
0: thanks again for joining us we'll talk to you next week